solo and group clinicians alike are buzzing about Therapy Notes, the number one trusted EHR among mental health professionals. With live customer support 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and an extensive feature library, Therapy Notes is sure to streamline your workflow, giving you time to care more and worry less. Try them for two months free using promo code MODERN today. Are you looking for ways to attract and retain private pay clients? Thryzer is a payment platform for therapists built to help clients automatically tap into their out-of-network benefits and save on therapy up front. Check out our special link, join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist, and use the code modern therapists to activate $2,500 in free payments with Thryzer. You're listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide, where therapists live, breathe, and practice as human beings. To support you as a whole person and a therapist, here are your hosts, Kurt Widhelm and Katie Vernoy. Welcome back, Modern Therapists. This is the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. I'm Kurt Widhelm with Katie Vernoy, and this is the podcast for therapists about things that we do, the things that come up in our sessions with clients, and we've taken a little bit of a turn over into looking at the world of law enforcement and some various different aspects recently. And today we are joined by Andy Young. He's a professor of psychology and counseling, a crisis counselor with the Lubbock Police Department and a hostage negotiator. And specifically today, we're looking into hostage negotiation and how that can be a career path and the things that come up with it. So thank you very much for joining us. Glad to be here. Thank you very much. We are so excited to have you. This is something that I've been wanting to learn about for a long time, and and you and I had a nice conversation. But before we jump into the conversation, I wanted to ask you what I ask every guest that comes on. Who are you and what are you putting out into the world? Uh, Who am I? Well, I've been a teacher for 25 years, and so that seems to come naturally. I've been a therapist for just about as long. And so helping people, educating people, trying to edify people and help them grow. Uh, I guess that's been a common denominator for me for quite a while. I think uh, connected to that is trying to assist people who are hurting, people who are in crisis, and trying to equip others to do the same. How do you get into a job like this? This doesn't seem to be one that a lot of graduate schools are like, you know, go into hostage negotiation. (laughs) Well, uh, unfortunately, I don't have a lot of good advice there because I was minding my own business and and they came and found me. They're like, hey, you know what? We could probably use somebody with a mental health background on some of these call outs. How would you like to become a hostage negotiator? And of course, you know, that sounded sexy. So I was all about it. Not even knowing what I was getting into. So what does that look like? Do they just throw you in a cruiser and be like, all right, here's a walkie-talkie and go from here? So I got started with my local police department doing on-scene crisis counseling at the request of patrol officers. So I got trained on that part. Didn't get thrown into a cruiser with a radio. They actually taught us how to use one and how to find addresses and how to work (laughs) well with police officers. About six months into that work, One of the uh, supervisors for the negotiating team came and said, hey, how would you like to join us? I was like, sure. And didn't get trained in hostage negotiating, just had my mental health background, being a therapist, counselor background. And then one day they're like, hey, we got this going on. You want to help out? I was like, sure. And I would recommend getting trained before you just get (laughs) thrown into stuff like that, because holy moly. (laughs) What does the training look like? 
Uh, generally speaking, uh, officers who want to become hostage negotiators go to a 40-hour, they call it a basic course, one week long, eight hours a day. Here are the basics of hostage negotiation. And when I finally <laughs> got in on that class, I learned that the same basics that they taught us in counselor school, active listening and all that stuff, are the same things that they're teaching these hostage negotiators. And so that, lucky for me, I had the same foundation going into it. It was the law enforcement part that I was like, oh, wow, this is new. So what role do you play in these teams as compared to the law enforcement officers? Generally speaking, I'm not going to be the officer, the negotiator on the phone talking to the subject of whatever our call is. Over time, because I'm the old guy on the team and I've been doing it a while, I often end up as the secondary negotiator who is coaching the other person who is directly in conversation with our subject. I think more often, and especially early on, I was part of the uh, group of officers who were assisting with the conversation and adding what I had from a mental health perspective. And so if the person we were talking to seemed to have a psychiatric condition, of course, that's going to be in my wheelhouse. If it seemed that the officer was struggling with connecting with this person and talking to them in a way that was productive, then I would probably throw in my two cents, write it on a note card and hand in some suggestions. So in a support role, and then uh, because of my background in predicting violence or predicting suicide, that often comes up as well. And so getting consulted on those aspects. I know a lot in the recent news that there's a number of people in our field who've been pretty critical of law enforcement and some of the larger systemic issues that go along with that. Right. And what has been your experience through the years as far as the interplay between the mental health system and law enforcement from kind of a practical standpoint? So when I started in 2000 with the uh, city police department and they were introducing mental health professionals into the patrol division of the department, I would say officers were a bit standoffish, skeptical, and having us go to their scenes actually added some cognitive load to that officer because now he's got another party that he needs or she needs to look over their safety. It just made things uh, a bit more complicated. And for those officers not really to know what value we bring to these situations and they're kind of stepping out in faith, I made it a little clunky to start with. But then once they realized, hey, this this is where a mental health professional can help reduce my load, can assist with this call, de-escalate people when, when appropriate. And as we get to know individual officers, then it got a lot smoother. So skeptical to start with, for sure. And then uh, once they realized how uh, we might bring some value to what they're trying to do, and we're all on the same side, got a bit smoother, and our call volume went up for sure. So when you were talking about how you would be on a call for hostage negotiation. Yeah. The, the question that popped into my head was kind of if, if you're assessing kind of the mental health of the subject and there's, yeah. there's some things that, that are coming up, how might that impact what the, what the officers on the scene do? Because it seems like there yeah. was some, some big statements there, like how to connect, how to assess for whether suicidality, homicidality, supposedly, you know, like just right. kind of the, the violence prediction what weight does that carry and how does that practically impact what the officers do? 
I think the weight that it carries has everything to do with that person and their relationship with those officers and the trust that's been developed over time. So uh, when I started out, of course, there was skepticism, but then situations uh, arose. Uh, one in particular, the first hostage situation that I was involved with. And I had a couple officers come to me and say, how do you, how do you think this is going to go? And I'm like, I think we're going to be here a long time. And then I think he's going to kill us hostage. And then he's going to try and kill a bunch of police officers. And I think he's going to try and kill himself. And 15 hours later, when that actually came to pass, that really got people's attention. They're like, Ooh, is this guy a wizard? What, what is going on here? Wow. And so uh, that early incident in particular, I think developed some trust and some street credibility. And then once they got to know me better and uh, just the small dynamics of a working relationship, for better or worse, my two cents on the matter gained more and more weight over time. And, and my influence in the situation has grown a little bit as well, which I'm highly sensitive to. But yeah, I think uh, starting out, the answer to your question is a lot different than it would be here today, 22 years later. What was your background before you, you mentioned that you're, you know, in the suicide, violence, uh, homicide? Can you help our listeners understand a little bit more? Like they're not just, you know, calling up random therapists off psychology today. No. What, what was your background? <laughs> uh, what was your background before that? So I started with the police department when I was a little graduate student, freshly minted uh, licensed professional counselor in the state of Texas. Then I went on to get my doctorate so I could keep my day job teaching psychology and counseling at a university. One of the classes that I taught at the university was forensic psychology, which then helped kind of beef up the uh, prediction and violence and uh, suicide risk assessment stuff. And so my uh, training experience continued to grow over the years. And then, of course, I would get specialized training. Uh, the FBI came to town, taught a two-day class in psychological profiling. And so where I started and where I am today, again, just drastically different. And looking back to where I started is kind of like looking at your junior high school yearbook and, oh, yikes, <laughs> what was I doing? And why did they trust me with as much as they gave me? But that specialized training, in particular, that FBI course and the negotiating courses, stuff that I never knew existed when I was a graduate student or had just finished my master's in counseling. Therapy Notes not only combines billing, scheduling, and notes into one easy-to-use software, they now also offer group telehealth, up to 15 clients in a group session at a time and secure messaging features. And with their 24-7 customer service, they're ready to assist you no matter where your practice takes you. Therapy Notes allows you to do it all. Whether you're a solo clinician or part of a group practice, you'll have all the tools for success at your fingertips with Therapy Notes. Learn more at therapynotes.com and use promo code MODERN for two months free. Focusing in on the here and now with you yeah. trained 22 years on the job, those types of things. Yeah. What does a, a typical call look like, you know, and what role do you play in, in having an impact or improving the outcome? So a typical call, I will go with the most recent one. Uh, we have a drunk person who is threatening suicide, former military one of the patrol officers is on the phone with him trying to do escalation, de-escalation, but from a safe distance because this man is making a lot of threats, says he's got guns, has a history of suicidal intent. 
And that officer is uh, like, yeah, I need some assistance with this conversation. So negotiators get called out. So I show up on scene. I have hop in the cruiser with this officer. And so now I'm trying to coach this officer on the conversation he's trying to have with this individual. As the situation unfolds and the SWAT team shows up and we get a better feel for this guy, you know what? It doesn't seem to be as much about uh, I want to die today as much about I want to blow off some anger and I want to get a reaction out of people and I want to be heard. Then uh, when the bosses come and say, hey, Andy, what do you think? I'm like, you know what? This guy probably wants to fight with us and we probably don't want to give him what he wants. They're like, okay, so what do you suggest? Well, I know typically what we do is to take our big armored car and put it in front of the house and start loud hailing people in order to get them to realize there's a show of force here. Maybe you don't want to fight with us. I think in this case with a drunk Marine, we probably don't want to do that. Maybe we want to have a lower profile and uh, it's going to take longer, but I bet that works better for us in the long term. And so we gave it a try. Then the uh, subject took propane tanks and positioned them around his backyard. We're like, yeah, okay, maybe we do want to keep our distance because this guy really is spoiling for a fight. But then over time, as we were not meeting his needs for fighting and for attention, he eventually was like, okay, my friend is here because we told him his friend is here. I'll come out and talk to him. And the uh, end of it was quite anticlimactic. I think uh, one of the... uh, I don't know, one of the side bits of this, you got all the SWAT guys up there in the uh, armored car, just waiting and waiting. This went on for hours. We had one of our negotiators in the armored car with them. I got a text from the negotiator. He said, hey, all the SWAT guys want to know what you think. How long is this going to take? And so I wrote back, smoke them if you got them. Our boy likes attention. We're going to be here a while. And that seemed to kind of, you know, help with the action imperative. We got to do something and we just got to wait this guy out till the alcohol and the anger wear off. So there's the most recent example. I don't know how glamorous that is, but there you go. (laughs) I I would have to imagine that this is a position where most of the successful ones are not glamorous. And that's a good thing. And if, you know, you're ending up in the news, things have gone south. Yes. How do you handle when things go south? Most recently, well, not recently, we're coming up on the one-year anniversary of a call-out. I'm on the team with the sheriff's office as well. We got called out to a small jurisdiction. As our SWAT team is getting set up, the individual with a 22 rifle just ambushed our officers, killed a friend of mine and injured three friends of mine. That's a traumatic experience for all of us, including me. And so all the training that I have and all the training I give to others about self-care and how do we get through traumatic events, that all comes to bear after something like that, plus funerals and media coverage. I think it's real easy to underestimate the emotional toll something like that takes on all the officers and people involved in something like that. You don't realize that when an officer goes down, that's a friend, that's family member that just got hurt. And that takes an emotional toll on people. What infrastructure is in place to support kind of responding to that kind of trauma? Uh, As far as like a therapeutic infrastructure? Yeah, I would just imagine, I mean, there's, especially on a hostage negotiation team, that just seems very high stress. It seems like there's a lot of opportunities for things to go south where officers get hurt. It could be the reverse where a subject gets hurt. I mean, it just seems like there's so many opportunities for trauma. What's in place for those folks? 
a program we started a long time ago it's called Critical Incident Stress Management, where we train officers in how to be beneficial, not therapeutic, but, you know, beneficial to other officers after a traumatic incident. So uh, trying to address uh, everybody you know, before they go home after a traumatic event and then follow up with them and have a, a group meeting where everybody gets to talk about the personal toll that this took on them. And then there's me and other people like me, therapists who understand the law enforcement culture and even are trusted by the law enforcement culture. So where officers will reach out for additional assistance if they believe that they need it. And of course, me being around, just walking through the uh, halls of the police department, inevitably somebody will say, hey, uh, can I talk to you for a minute? And then it gets personal. You've been in this role for a while, which I have to imagine the people who start out in this role who might think that they want to be in it learn pretty quickly whether or not that they can handle it. What does it take to make somebody a good negotiator or somebody who might have pursued maybe like a forensic psychology sort of background, maybe wanting to get into this kind of stuff? What kind of skills and qualities really make for the people who are able to stick around? My background in counseling always starts with it's about the person, their personality, their demeanor, their emotional regulation. I'm a relatively compassionate and empathetic person. And yet in the law enforcement field, that can be used against you by the people that you're talking to. And so how do I balance trying to help people with I can only do so much for people who may not be amenable to growth or change? being pragmatic, knowing your limits, and again, understanding the circumstances that you're in. This is a law enforcement thing that we're dealing with. This is very different than therapy in my office with somebody who wants to be there, understanding the difference. And at the end of the day, just like in my office, out on the street, knowing my limits and how do I put things to bed emotionally and cognitively for myself? How do I think about things in a rational way that helps me regulate my emotions, knowing my limits. It's an art because everybody is not the same. And so what works for me is not going to be the same that works for another therapist. I guess another big piece is how do we interpret the experiences we've been through? Because that interpretation has everything to do with how it affects us cognitively and emotionally. So I got a lot to say there, but there's an opening, <laughs> there's an opening volley. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I just, I think about when a subject gets killed yeah. and, and I think that there's both just the, the trauma of that, but there's also at this point, the kind of the political nature of yeah. a subject in these situations getting killed. And, yeah. and I don't know what my specific question is. Cause I, I think about there's so that's such a broad question, I guess, but, yeah. but to me, when I, when I think about those pieces my assumption is that the goal is to not have anyone die. Exactly. And so talk a little bit about how it could turn to the place where a subject is now going to die or, or has been killed and, and, and how the team handles that. Because to me, that yeah. seems like that would be the hardest thing yes. for me in considering trying to be in, in this kind of a crisis response situation. Well, your question brings to mind an experience I had in 2014 where a gentleman high on meth is in his brother's house and tearing up the house. And his brother calls police and says, hey, stop my brother. I don't like him doing this. 
Troll shows up and the brother is in a closet and he's armed with a machete and a steak knife. And so the officers draw their guns because you don't bring a knife or a taser to a, a knife fight. fight. <laughs> yeah. So out come the guns and uh, that uh, man high on meth is in his closet and we have ourselves a negotiation. Uh, negotiators got called. I got there quickly because I'm motivated and I like this work. And I ended up standing behind the guys with the guns, trying to have a conversation with this guy that quickly escalated to, you know what? I want to die today. I want you police officers to kill me and I'm going to do this. And for about 10 minutes, I tried to talk him out of it every way that I could. And eventually that guy got to the point where he's like, no, I'm going to do this. And he ran at the police officers with a machete. The uh, officer next to me fired some beanbag rounds at him. So it's a shotgun that shoots these big beanbags at him. But because we were so close together, he could only get a couple shots in before that machete was too close to an officer. And so I essentially watched that man get shot and killed. And once that happened and once that threat was stopped, it is very disorienting to go from a face-to-face -face conversation with somebody to that lethal force incident, to the psychological aftermath of that incident that was afflicted upon all of us because of that individual's indecision, uh, that individual's decision. And so then it becomes, uh, like you're saying, there's the political, there's the investigative, and there's the personal. Mm -hmm. And our justice system is adversarial, that once something like that has happened, uh, I can be held criminally responsible in our system for what happened in that room. And so the judicial system makes everybody not talk because I can incriminate myself if I talk, which is the opposite of my counseling experience was yeah. this is a very traumatic experience. We need to talk. Yeah. So it's it real clunky. Luckily, I've worked out uh, with the lawyers that I can have people sign my officers sign my paperwork. And now we have a privileged counseling relationship and so we can go over here in this cruiser and we can have that personal conversation, even though the adversarial judicial and political system is right outside the window. And to give that officer and myself that opportunity to go, holy crap, I cannot believe what we just went through. I can't believe what I what I uh, had to witness and what these officers had to do and just let those emotions out without it being held against us. Anyway, am I, am I getting at what you're asking about? Yeah. Thryzer is a payment platform designed for out-of-network therapy. As a therapist, you would use Thryzer to charge clients for sessions and collect your full rate up front. From the client's perspective, Thryzer links to their health plan, so insurance claims are automatically submitted for them upon every charge. From there, Thryzer manages the claims end-to-end -end so that your clients don't have to worry about manually submitting super bills or getting on calls with insurance. The best part? Thryzer allows clients to only pay their co-insurance portion for sessions, while Thryzer covers the rest of your fee and waits for reimbursement on their behalf. They also offer you an instant benefits calculator for free, allowing you to provide upfront transparency to prospective clients on their out-of-network coverage. Therapists only pay a standard 3% credit card processing fee per session with no additional fees. Visit join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist to get started and use our promo code modern therapists to receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. 
And it, it leads me to wonder, like, if I was to believe mainstream media, social media about law enforcement these days, it's every cop in America is going out and picking somebody to shoot today. And we we know that that's wrong. Sure. But it does lead me to wonder, how often does this actually happen? Because this seems to be what a lot of the outcry seems to be, is getting more mental health people involved in these situations. It seems like you've been doing this for a lot longer than most of us have been practicing, that these things are in place, but because of things like this adversarial judicial system, we don't get to hear about it because if that does get out, then there is those potential lawsuits. That's right. How often do these things actually happen? As far as like an officer involved shooting, lethal force, someone has died? Or just like hostage negotiation oh. situations. How often are you yeah. actually called out on this stuff? Once a month, a couple times a month. We'll go a couple months without a call, but I probably average, you know, a legit full scale call out once a month. I, I did some research, gathered some stats. 96.7% of the time, things end peacefully and it's all good to go. It's that 3% that gets amplified and it's the 3% everybody hears about and the 97% that nobody hears about. So that, that's, that seems to be right in line with what you're talking about. For those who are still interested in... <laughs> <laughs> After these stories... These... Holy moly. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> Let me talk about the 97%. (laughs) Um, What what advice would you have for people who might want to pursue this as a career path? Well, get trained, stay in school, kids. Don't do what I did, which was jump into it and learn as you go. So yeah, educating yourself before you get into it, having a realistic view of what this thing is, which is people get to make decisions for themselves And we might be able to coach people on how to land the airplane, but they get to land the airplane themselves. And in my office, that's one thing. But out on the street where there's guns or elevated positions that we can jump off of or innocent people that we can kill, it's the same principle, but at its extreme. And it really tests a person about being able to apply that to yourself and your circumstances. But once you realize what you're getting into, well, go get educated and, uh, Work with these people that you're trying to assist. Get to know the officers, let them know what you're able to give them and receive what they're able to give you. But just going out to your local police department and making that offer is essentially how I got started. And I work for a relatively large department. When you have the majority of police departments are less than 20 officers, for a mental health professional to go to their local you know, sheriff's office and go, Hey, if there's anything I can do, let me know. I imagine they're going to take you up on that offer once they realize you're trustworthy. I'm, I'm thinking about the, the benefit you've described and, and being able to describe the benefit of a mental health prof- provider on a hostage negotiation team. I actually would like a more specific answer to that because I think the first call you went out on, you predicted what was going to happen. If that call were to happen today with the experience and training that you have, do you think there might be a different outcome? Or or maybe the better question is, if you were not on the team, how does that shift the outcomes? How does that shift the interventions that are done by these officers? If those officers are well-trained and well-experienced, 
Well, let, let's take the team that I'm on. If I'm out of town and they go on a call out, we've been working together for so long. They've heard my stories. I've led training at times. Those guys are equipped. I would hazard to say they're going to be fine without me because we've been working together for so long. Sure. A new team without a lot of experience and a lot of and without a lot of training, the research shows that well, their batting average is going to go down just like you would see in any other any other field. The team aspect of this is very important and to have all the different angles covered, you got the mental health, all that. I think that maybe gets to the essence of your question. If everybody is trained and experienced and everyone's background is present and honored, we're probably going to hit that 97%. But yeah, if, if I'm not there, my team's going to be fine. Uh, the team at the sheriff's office, they're a bit newer. And so that might be a little different, but we've been working together for a while. So they have some ideas. When I'm out of town, I get a phone call sometimes. Anyway, there's ways to uh, mitigate inexperience as well. If I were to decide I want to go up to my local police department and say, this is what a mental health provider can do for a hostage negotiation team, what are the points I should make? Start out with, uh, I understand law enforcement and uh, I've gotten trained in these things. And then when we get called out, you're more often than not going to be dealing with somebody who has some sort of psychiatric condition. So, of course, I can help our conversation and maybe even our decision making when it comes to how to handle this. I could probably help that occur in a way that the chief of police or the sheriff would appreciate (laughs) as opposed to escalating to something that equals a lot of paperwork and maybe some excess media coverage. Everybody on the negotiating team is trying to bring calm to the chaos. And that's what a therapist is generally good at as well. And so that is something I imagine that you can bring to bear. Staying cognitive in the midst of a crisis, that's usually a good influence as well. And so to kind of outline that in your uh, initial pitch, Those are the first things that come to mind. Thank you. Yeah. If there are people who are interested in finding out more about the work that you do, where can they look you up and reach out to you? So I I have a website for my books and my books are stories, just kind of like what I told today. Here's stories of doing on-scene crisis counseling with patrol officers. Here's some negotiator call outs. Here's lethal force to consider. But it's mostly stories. And so if you go to drandyyoung.com, drandyyoung.com, you'll find those books. And uh, that's probably the uh, safest way to get acclimated to uh, this very different environment of uh, applying mental health principles to uh, exotic situations. And we will include a link to Dr. Young's website in our show notes. You can find those over at mtsgpodcast.com. Make sure that you follow us on our social media, join our Facebook group, the Modern Therapist Group, and please consider being a patron or supporting us through Buy Me a Coffee. And until next time, I'm Kurt Woodhelm with Katie Vernoy and Dr. Andy Young. Thanks to our partner, Therapy Notes, the highest rated practice management solution for behavioral health. Don't forget... Use promo code MODERN for two free months. Remember to check out Thryzer. They are passionate about making out-of-network therapy work for everyone. Clients save upfront on therapy while therapists earn their full rate. Get started in minutes on join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist and use the promo code modern therapists 
and receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. Thank you for listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. Learn more about who we are and what we do at mtsgpodcast.com. You can also join us on Facebook and Twitter. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes.